you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground. It's been way too long for me to record another podcast, and I apologize for that. I left you hanging for a couple of months now, but uh, a lot of life changes, started my own business, so that kind of got busy, Uh, but other things going on. Most importantly, though, back on schedule, so much to talk about. Back to the weekly schedule, going to pump these out every week from here on out. So, a lot to talk about, a lot to catch up on, a lot of California news, a lot of national news going on. So let's hop right into it with our out of the gate monologue. You know why they say, you know what they say about a scared dog backed into a corner? They end up resorting to their natural instinct of having to fight their way out of the situation. The hair on the back of their neck stands up and they begin to bare their teeth in a display of aggression. Thus letting the imminent threat know that they are ready to fight if need be to protect themselves. The same thing is occurring right now with the Democrats in this impeachment mania that has been happening. The Democrats are in a precarious position where their circus of candidates is beginning to look less and less palpable for a general election. As they try to one-up each other in their leftist SJW battle for street cred, I'm sorry if you saw the quality night on CNN, you know what I'm talking about, the real issues that attract voters are nowhere to be seen. Only poor Uncle Joe has been the slight voice of reason by asking his socialist-leaning colleagues, how are we going to pay for all this? You now have a front-runner who's prompting calls from those in the Democratic Party that, if nominated, they will simply just sit this election out. How's that for voter enthusiasm? And speaking of poor Uncle Joe, what looked like an easy path to the nomination has now become mired in questions about his mental acuity his moderate stances, stances, which are seen as old-fashioned and, shh, don't tell him, totally unwoke, and how many skeletons he really has in his closet when it comes to Ukraine. His faltering has opened the door for a far-left candidate in Elizabeth Warren to gain the lead, and the polling doesn't look good. So Democrats are now forced to take Representative Al Green's advice, whereby, quote, we don't impeach Donald Trump, he will win re-election, end quote. Now, this seems to be the Hail Mary that the Democrats are trying to throw. Will it pay off? Doubtful. Is their only option with their backs against the wall? Absolutely. So you have the entire Democratic Party lining up for impeachment, and they have thrown their media wing of the party into full impeachment hysteria. News comes at you so fast, you can't take stock of what's actually going on. And that's sort of the point. The point is to throw enough flack at the Trump administration, maybe voters will be turned off. Maybe they will think twice about pulling the lever for President Trump because they think he might be impeached and out of office soon after he's reelected. It is imperative that you don't give in to the hysteria. I urge you just to not really listen to what's going on in the mainstream media. You can't let the news push you into thinking that this is the end, that the Democrats have finally got Orange Man bad and they finally ended Trump. This is the last act of a desperate party. You knew that this was going to be the last act of the Democratic Party when they knew they ran out of options. The Russian collusion fell apart. So many things have fallen apart for him. Stormy Daniels fell apart. Accuser after accuser fell apart. Michael Avenatti is now probably on his way to jail for what he did. The heroes have one by one gone up against Donald Trump and they've all been vanquished. And now the Democrats are running out of ideas and 2020 is fast approaching and they have a terrible field of candidates that no one likes. What they're trying to do is they are working up the populace to turn against this president on baseless charges and nothing but hearsay. Secondhand knowledge from a whistleblower who didn't even know what really happened on that phone call. So, 
the dog is scared and they're going to throw everything they can at their opponent to not continue being backed into that corner. You can't be dissuaded. You can't give up. The fight has just really begun for 2020 and it will get much worse before it gets better. We're over the target. So buckle up for a turbulent 2020. Now I'm going to lead right into the first topic about national news, which is the impeachment mania. And it's just unbelievable to me how crazy and how blown out of proportion this is going to get. And it's going to be a story on CNN and MSNBC. This has become the new Russian collusion. This is Russian collusion 2.0. They ran out of the Russian collusion story. Uh, Mueller's report, Bob Mueller's report went way out and just didn't do anything. They, they lost in their hero. They have nothing to talk about. So they trumped up, pun intended, all these charges or this baseless allegation that Trump did something wrong with Ukraine. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole story of Ukraine. You've heard it. You know what's going on. You know that he called up and talked to the president. You read the transcript. If you're, if you're in the politics as much as someone like me, you've read the transcript. You know what it says. You don't need someone like me to rehash it. It's been rehashed a thousand times since the transcript has been released. It's been rehashed probably a thousand times a day on all of the news networks. But I want to talk about looking forward on the impeachment and why I don't think impeachment is going to go anywhere. Why I think it already may be dead in the water and Pelosi's run out of room. She's the dog scared in the corner right now. Pelosi has nothing else to do. She doesn't know where to go. But let's first start, start off with the fact that hearsay from a secondhand source is not credible. Now, as an attorney myself, hearsay is a problem in trials. There's a reason why they exclude hearsay in trials, because it's unreliable. It's not truthful. Nobody knows if you could come into court with hearsay on everything, it would be unfair to the accused party or to the the party you're going against. People could just make up stuff. That's why hearsay is not reliable. Yes, there's a thousand exceptions to hearsay. If you're a law student, you know there's about 50 exceptions to hearsay and you got to memorize all every single one of them for the bar exam and for your evidence exams. But the truth is, is that hearsay generally is not accepted as a credible source because it is not truthful. And we've now found out that the whistleblower the original whistleblower, now there's a second whistleblower who magically appeared, only knows about this through secondhand knowledge. They didn't hear the call. They, they don't have firsthand knowledge of what happened on the call. So they're going to go to Adam Schiff and they're going to bring up all these charges and say, oh, well, uh, you know, I heard he said this. Now this goes hand in hand with the fact that they just changed the whistleblower rules that you don't have to have firsthand knowledge, which opens up the fact that anybody in the administration who is a holdover, who is a swamp creature, who is someone who is embedded from the Obama administration could still go around and say, well, I heard that President Trump said this. What? I heard President Trump said this. So now you have people who can come out of the woodworks in droves because it doesn't matter if it's firsthand knowledge. Whistleblowers should be required to have firsthand knowledge of what they're actually whistleblowing about. That it's ridiculous that this is actually the standard now is that if you have secondhand knowledge of something of a politician did, well, I guess it opens really the doors for anybody. Anybody in DC now, you can be a whistleblower to Adam Schiff. Well, I hear Adam Schiff, uh, he likes to do this or he, he did this and uh, I think he should be brought up on charges. Okay, now the tables can be turned around on them as well. I don't think anybody will, but the fact that they did this so close to this, all of a sudden this whistleblower appearing out of nowhere is very suspicious. Am I going to say it's a mere coincidence? No, it's not a mere coincidence. In Washington, things don't just happen by coincidence. The fact that they changed the rule and turned it into firsthand, now it's secondhand knowledge means that they opened it up. So probably they figured out they had this person who maybe came to Adam Schiff and said, uh, I might have an idea of Trump doing something wrong with Ukraine on a phone call. And so they said, well, do you have firsthand knowledge? And he goes, well, no, I don't have firsthand knowledge. I just heard a rumor. Hello, this is Washington DC. I don't know I don't, who needs firsthand knowledge. 
So unfortunately, we need first-hand knowledge. And then they said, well, why don't we just change the rule? So hearsay itself is not a credible source. And I just had to get that out there because as an attorney who studied, who knows about hearsay, that there's a reason why hearsay is not credible in a court of law is because anybody can make up hearsay. It's not truthful. It's not firsthand knowledge. You don't get all the facts. You don't have an accurate account of what happened. And that's why hearsay is not credible in a court of law, especially when you're going after somebody. Because if anybody can just make up something they heard secondhand or they heard through the grapevine, then a lot of people would be probably in jail for the fact that you could be brought up on a lot of charges and someone else could hear something. Oh, I heard from my cousin. This is... But that's why hearsay is not a credible source. I don't understand why. If we're going to go through an impeachment process and you're going to begin the trying of a U.S. president, which has only been done how many times in U.S. history? You've now created that the bar for evidence is not hearsay anymore. It's just secondhand knowledge and you can bring in hearsay. That to me is completely fishy and just another example of how the swamp is running out of ideas of what to do to stop this president. But I want to get into why I don't think it's going to move much forward and I think it's basically dead in the water. And I thought this before President Trump and the White House sort of sent out their ultimatum to Nancy Pelosi in the House and said, look, put up or shut up. Like enough with this impeachment inquiry, enough with this little cutesy language, because this is what goes on now with the drive-by media. And this is how you get the people who aren't really into politics to look at, oh, well, President Trump's being impeached because that's all I see every day on the news. And that's everything I see in the newspaper is impeach, impeach, impeach. It's all about impeachment. Here is the true facts. He's not, the formal impeachment hasn't even begun yet. Why? Because the House has to bring it to a full vote. Nancy Pelosi and a bunch of her Democrat buddies can't sit around and unilaterally just go, we're going to start impeachment because we don't like this president. That's not how it works. And the White House rightfully called out Nancy Pelosi and said, look, you want an impeachment? Bring it. Put it to a House vote. Have you noticed? They're not. They're dragging their feet. If they were so confident about this and starting the impeachment process, they would have had the whole House vote already. Would they have the votes? Sure, they'd have the votes. But herein lies the issue, and everybody knows it. Nancy Pelosi knows it. And Nancy Pelosi, I will tell you this. Nancy Pelosi loves power more than she loves the Democratic Party. Let me say that again. Nancy Pelosi loves power power more than she loves the Democratic Party. She's not faithful to the Democratic Party. She could care less about that. She cares about having power. She cares about staying Speaker of the House third in line for the presidency. That's what she cares about. What? Why is Pelosi, and I'll give her credit, Pelosi is a very smart politician. She's cunning. She knows how to play the chess game. She's been there for a long time. She didn't get to be a Speaker of the House because of the fact that she doesn't know what she's doing. She's very cunning. She may come off as a babbling idiot because it looks like she's in the early ages of senile or senility, but she's very cunning. And she knows. She knows that putting this to a full House vote puts her speakership in absolute jeopardy. Republicans only need 19 seats in 2020 to, they only need 19 seats in 2020 to flip the House back to the Republicans. Now, there was the blue wave two years ago. A lot of these Democrats that were voted in were in Trump districts. Now, you're putting these moderate Democrats, you're going to say to these moderate Democrats, okay, I want you to vote to impeach this president, even though you're in a district that President Trump won in 2016. And he might likely win again in 2020. This causes an issue because now you have people who are gonna go to the ballot box and if they're re going to reelect President Trump and they're gonna vote again for President Trump, 
How in the world are you going to have someone who goes in there and says, well, I think what President Trump is doing is very good. I'm going to re vote to reelect him. And then you go down the ballot and cross Republican Party lines over to the Democrats and say, but I'm also going to vote for this Democrat who voted to impeach him. Does that make any sense at all? No, of course it doesn't. And that's why Pelosi is scared, because she knows if she puts this to a full House vote, she's putting all those swing districts up for uh, up for probably flipping in 2020. And if she loses, if she loses those seats, she's out again as speaker. And again, she doesn't really love the Democratic Party as much as she loves power. And if it means that she's got to hold on to her power by not bringing it to a full House vote, that's what's going to happen. So this impeachment inquiry, which is what their slight wordplay is doing, they're, they're doing the slight wordplay because the drive-by media and people aren't really looking into it. So they see the word impeachment, 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 and they think he's being impeached. They're going to keep doing this impeachment inquiry as long as possible to keep this in the headlines. Oh, well, Donald Trump is being impeached. Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not being impeached because they don't have a formal House vote to start it yet. That's not how the process works. You can't just get together with a bunch of your buddies and say, uh, well, uh, I think we should impeach the president. Okay, five other Democrat buddies. I think that's a good idea. Let's start the impeachment process. It doesn't work like that. You have to bring it to a vote. And she's not going to, or at least in my, if I were Nancy Pelosi, I would never bring it to a House vote. I would try to keep this as long as possible. And I think the problem is, is you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, you're Nancy Pelosi. You either bring it to a House vote and move it forward, where it will promptly die in the Senate afterwards, or you don't bring it to a full vote, and then people start to... you you kind of piss off your own base because nothing happens. You keep saying, well, we're doing an impeachment inquiry. We're doing an impeachment inquiry. We're doing it. Okay. You're not impeaching them though. You're just saying you're doing an inquiry. So you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Nancy Pelosi put herself in sort of a precarious position. She bought herself some time. She, she placated the far left part of her base for now. But they're going to start, want, they're, they're, pretty soon their, their thirst for blood is going to come back again. And they're going to sit there and say, well, we want to get this president out of office. As Rashida Tlaib said, we want to impeach the MFR. Do you think they're going to idly st stand by and think an impeachment inquiry is good enough? No, of course not. They want him out. And that's why I don't think it's really going to go anywhere. I could be wrong. But I think if I were Nancy Pelosi, and I'm not a political genius, I see the writing on the wall and I say, look, my, my speakership is in jeopardy if I bring it to a full house vote. I'm not bringing it to a full house vote. Another reason, which I think is probably a lesser reason because Nancy Pelosi has all the power right now. Another reason that's really important is that if you bring this up and you start the impeachment process, you know who's going to have to testify in all this? Joe Biden and his son. Yeah, they're right in the heart of this. So if President Trump is asking to look into this corruption and what's going on, then they're going to have to testify. Do you think Joe Biden as a as a torchbearer for the Democratic Party, or at least a torchbearer for the establishment Democratic Party, I'm not going to say like for the whole Democratic Party, because uh, it's starting to splinter into two factions right now. You have the establishment, uh, moderate corporatist Democrats, and then you have the far left democratic socialists, which are just full on communists. Um, I don't think he's gonna wanna do that. And I think he's gonna wanna protect his son and he's gonna not wanna put himself out there. I mean, he's still trying to actually run for president, although it looks like he's fading fast. He's still trying to run for president, so him getting involved in this and making it so that he has to testify and put this all out there, I don't think he's going to want to do that. So already you have two big roadblocks that are going to stop the impeachment process. And you have Mitch McConnell who said, look, it's going to get to the Senate. We'll take care of it. And then you have people like Lindsey Graham who are running around who are actually getting a loyalty oath to President Trump to say, look, 
even if it gets to the Senate, we all pledge our loyalty to President Trump that it's gonna we're gonna back him. Of course, I trust Lindsey Graham about as far as I can throw him. He's from that old establishment Republican. He's shown signs of maybe coming around, but again, it takes a long time for. In the terms of evolution, it took a long time for a slippery fish to grow legs and walk on water, and that's sort of the same thing with someone like Lindsey Graham. It's gonna take him a long time to go from that slippery little eel that he was with the establishment Republicans and turn into something a little bit more of the MAGA uh, scope or that sort of candidate. Next subject I want to talk about, because the impeachment is crazy. I don't want to get into the details. There's so many details. To be honest, I don't even read every single story just because it's coming at you so hot and fast. I'm just kind of taking the broad stroke of impeachment. But we have a lot to get to. Next, I want to talk about what's going on with the NBA. Now, if you're not paying attention to what went on with the NBA, really, really disgraceful what happened with the NBA this week. If you don't want, if you want a better sign that President Donald Trump is correct about what China is doing to us and how we're in this struggle with China, look no farther than what's going on with the NBA. Look no farther what's going on with Blizzard or Marvel Studios or Disney or Hollywood or any of these companies. They all bow and kowtow to the fact that China says, well, you can't disagree with us and we're not going to show your product or we're not going to sell your product or show your movie or, or do this or that. I was reading that Red Dawn, the remake of Red Dawn, they changed from Chinese, uh, from the enemy to be Chinese to North Koreans because they knew that if it was Chinese, Chinese wouldn't show it in China. So there's a article in the New York Post I want to read for you real quick. Good article, and it's titled, uh, The NBA's Disgraceful Submission to Its Chinese Overlords. And of course, like always, I will post the links to this in the show notes. Little did Dr. James Nysmith of Springfield, Massachusetts know when he invented the game of basketball in 1891 that a century hence it would be beholden to its Chinese overlords. The National Basketball Association disgraced itself kowtowing to the Beijing regime after the general manager of the Houston Rockets, Daryl Morey, tweeted his support for Hong Kong protesters. The words he associated himself with, quote, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong, end quote, would seem uncontroversial. Who doesn't hope for the best for plucky demonstrators trying to advance democracy against an overweening imperial dictatorship? Maury, though, failed to adequately account for the feelings of the dictatorship. Quote, I was merely voicing one thought, end quote, he said in a groveling tweet after deleting his original offending one. Based on one interpretation of one complicated event, I have had a lot of opportunities since that tweet to hear and consider other perspectives. The other perspectives are those of people supporting a regime that is determined to crush Hong Kong underfoot, maintain a one-party state that stifles all inter internal dissent, brutally repress, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this and I apologize, Uyghur Muslims, grab the South China Sea, build up its military with an eye to a future confrontation with the United States, and rewrite the rules of the international order to its liking. But who's to judge? In a lickspittle statement, the NBA said that Mori's views, quote, have deeply offended many of our friends and fans in China, which is regrettable, end quote. It appears that the Chinese language version was even more extravagantly craven, saying that the league is, quote, extremely disappointed, end quote, in the GM's, quote, inappropriate tweet that severely hurt the feelings of Chinese fans, end quote. If you follow the NBA and miss the part where Red China stole the league's soul, it's only because you haven't paid enough attention to the international business. China is a huge and growing market for the NBA. When Chinese sponsors and partners of the Rockets began to pull out, the team in the league buckled. It's a matter of filthy lucre, pure and simple. In retrospect, all the old Soviet Union would have needed to distort corporate America for its purpose was a large and lucrative market. Too committed to communism, Moscow never managed to create one. Via its hybrid system of semi-capitalism went to a repressive one-party state, Beijing did. The resulting riches and potential customers allow it to yank the chain of an array of American businesses, including the NBA. The joke of it is that here at home, the league flaunts its woke social conscience. The NBA used the leverage of its all-star game coming to Charlotte to force changes to a North Carolina bathroom bill in the name of equality. One would think that the re-education camps for a million Uyghurs to pick just one of China's human rights abuses are much worse than any choice North Carolina makes about its restrooms. 
Even if, at all, even if all that the league cares about is LGBTQ issues, it should be repelled by communist China's policy, which run counter to everything the NBA purports to stand for. This episode exposes the league's gutless hypocrisy. So long as social activism is costless or enhances its reputation among the right of the people of the United States, the NBA is all about its values. But as soon as there's any price, the league is willing to salute smartly to the dictates of one or more cynical, self-interested regimes on Earth. So, don't want to talk too much about this. It's just an example of how much China has influence on us and how this is sort of the global political scale is tipping in, the, in, in favor of China and, and even American companies. And I, I want to applaud South Park because South Park did an incredible job sort of giving the middle finger to China and saying, look, we don't really give a crap what you think. They made fun of China and then China said, well, we're going to ban your episode. So the next episode they said, okay, F China, we don't care. And even Trey Parker came out and said with a sort of tongue in cheek apology letter about how they were apologizing or they were sorry. That doesn't, you know, in typical South Park action, they weren't sorry. They were still poking fun at China. But you have all these people who are super woke. You have Steve Kerr, the, the head coach of the Golden State Warriors, super woke. Uh, he talks about, well, I'm not going to get into the, the human rights violations of China. And we don't talk about how people in America are being mowed down by AR-15s. Good job, Steve. Way to slide a little anti-gun uh, propaganda in there, as well as not really standing up to China. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Is this the NBA's kneeling controversy? It looks like it eh, could be because it's going to sort of dog the NBA going forward a little bit. It's going to cost them and the players to actually have to sit around and answer these questions. Although one reporter tried to ask James Harden a question. She was quickly silenced. We'll see. Is it going to be as bad as the Neil and Colin Kaepernick? I don't know. But it's not a good look. It's not a good look if you're the National Basketball Association that's based in America, that was created in America, to be bowing to the Chinese communist regime and pretending that we're so woke and we're so awesome and we believe in all these social justice issues but we also bow at the feet of china who don't believe in a lot of these social justice issues so again it'll be interesting to see where this goes with nba and how long and how long this is going to affect into their season are people going to keep pushing it is it going to turn people off i don't know is it different because it's basketball over football Again, I don't know. I'm not a sports casting guy, but I thought it was just interesting how it brought into light sort of how all of the areas, NBA, sports, Hollywood, movies, all this stuff is dictated by what China wants. And it, everything has to be geared towards the fact that they want Chinese money and they want to get into those Chinese markets. Moving on to something that was swept completely under the rug during the impeachment mania is this new... AOC's legislation. So the Green New Deal went out like a wet fart. No one cared. Everyone laughed it off. Okay, the Green New Deal is laughable. It was ambitious. It's cute. Okay, whatever. That's nice, AOC. A little pat on the head. Good job. Now just go back to, you know, just go listen to what Nancy Pelosi has to say. Now she's come out with something called the Just Society legislation. In a hilarious video where she forgot to actually turn on her microphone because it sounded like she was talking in an airplane hangar, she comes out with this new oversweeping government takeover, social justice based legislation that just grows the size of the government, all for social justice issues. Little piece in the Washington Examiner, it's called AOC's Vision for a Just Society is a Socialist Nightmare. I'm going to read some of it for you. Remember the Green New Deal? Well, as it turns out, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was just getting started. The New York Democrat recently released the new platform, a Just Society legislative package. The proposal includes five bills in one resolution. 
Its goal is to build a just society to protect our communities and uplift our neighbors and do so by combating the greatest threats to our country, our democracy, and of course our planet, economic inequality, and climate change. Taking it in its entirety, Ocasio-Cortez's Just Society platform is a mix of pie-in-the-sky utopian rhetoric and bad socialist policy. Policymakers should just reject an idealistic and collectivist approach to governance out of hand. The very basis of her anti-poverty plan is absurd. The first bill in Ocasio-Cortez's proposal, the Recognizing Real Poverty Act, would instruct the federal government to reevaluate the official poverty line to include geographical variations and needs such as internet access. The socialist congresswoman has said she thinks the poverty line should be as high as 38000 in annual salary. This would triple poverty overnight, classifying many working-class self-sufficient Americans as if they were in dire need of government intervention. Besides, the poverty line doesn't indicate whether or not someone is actually living in poverty because it doesn't count government benefits. So Ocasio-Cortez is saying that somehow or someone earning nearly 40000 before any government benefits should be classified as poor and likely in her mind thus entitled to even more handouts. Ocasio-Cortez's second bill is where the actual socialist policy comes in. It would enact a national rent control program, a federal mandate binding landlords throughout the country to a limit of 3% annual rent increases. This isn't just a massive government overreach, it's economic illiteracy too, as I have previously written. Price controls just restrict the supply of housing because they discourage developers from building more housing by lowering potential profits. This, in the long run, will send rents soaring in non-rent-controlled areas. Meanwhile, property owners who do face rent restrictions may convert their apartments to condos or otherwise stop renting them, rather than rent out their property at artificially low prices. Ocasio-Cortez's next two bills are about who can receive government welfare. The Mercy and Reentry Act would entitle felons and others with criminal convictions to get full eligibility for welfare programs and government benefits. Basically, felons could get a public housing, food stamps, and so on. Similarly, the Embrace Act would extend full eligibility for welfare to illegal immigrants. According to Fox Business, this would include Medicaid, unemployment benefits, welfare, and food stamps. That's right, a key part of Ocasio-Cortez's grand plan to end poverty is to force taxpayers to subsidize illegal immigrants and felons. Next, she moves to punish businesses who don't comply with her socialist vision for society. Her final bill would instruct the Department of Labor to prioritize awarding federal contracts to companies that paid maternity leave, a $15 minimum wage, and so on. Apparently, asserting government control over private business practices is more important than, say, being a responsible steward of taxpayer money and awarding contracts to the most efficient and least expensive bid or and bidder. In classic Green New Deal style, though, the most radical part of the Just Society package is the resolution it includes. Ocasio-Cortez's plan would have the United States sign on to an international accord that states all people, quote, have the right to work, fair and just conditions of work, social security, uh, an adequate standard of living, including adequate food, clothing, housing, and health care, end quote. While that might sound nice in the abstract, it's a vision of positive rights, the right to something rather than the freedom from that inevitably involves massive amounts of socialism. A right to health care? Well, that would have to include the right to force doctors to provide care, perhaps for less than it costs to give them, and that requires government takeover of health care. A right to housing? Well, surely the government must meet that by right by taking over the private housing stock and dictating who lives where. At least, that's the inevitable conclusion of a free-willing approach to rights. And in a similar manner, all the rights and pie-in-the-sky utopian clauses of the Just Society Society ultimately lead us back to one place, an expansion of the power of government to interfere in markets in ways that have been proven counterproductive. So, a lot to undress there, and this was definitely swept under the rug because she let it out right at the same same time that impeachment began, so obviously she wasn't going to be anywhere on the radar. Maybe she wanted to be... Uh, somewhere under the radar. Is it going to be laughed out? Absolutely. Will it get passed and signed into law? Absolutely not. There is no way, even if it by miracle makes it out of the House, it's dead on arrival in the Senate. And there's definitely no way President Trump would ever sign something like this. So first off, there's one thing I do have an issue with with this author. I actually don't have an issue with the Mercy and Reentry Act. 
That's right. Stop the presses. There is something I agree on with AOC. I don't think if you're a felon or an ex-convict and you've paid your debt to society and you're paroled and you're out there and you're, you're, you're done with your time and you're cleared, I don't see why you shouldn't have that right. There are people who have committed nonviolent crimes or drug possession or something like that who are felons. And as you know, someone who actually practices in the cannabis industry, I don't think that's a bad idea. I know that the, the whole taking their voting rights away and all that is extreme. And I'm not trying to be sympathetic, but I don't think that cutting them off for welfare or benefits it might help them get back into society a little bit easier if you can get access to those benefits. Which, if you live in California, you see the homeless that go on out here. So if you're someone who just got out of jail, you have no money, you have nowhere to go, something could help. So that's why I, I actually agree with this. I don't think, I, I think this author of this article being a little bit too puritanical about this and saying, oh, well, felons shouldn't have any access to it. Yeah, but if felons are citizens and they pay tax, I don't think it's a bad thing to allow them to get that access again. However, hard no on the fact that it just opens up the idea that all legal immigrants are allowed to get welfare. If you want a giant beacon, like a, a one of those old yes, we're open 24-hour diner signs blinking in the middle of the night. This would be it for anybody who wants to come and enter our country illegally. This would say, well, as long as you get here, you get all the welfare you want because AOC has made it so that you can come in and get it. That is an issue. That's a big issue. But she doesn't see it that way. They see it as we're just being, oh, we're being such good humanitarians. And if you ask anybody on the left, if you ask a leftist about this and say, should illegal immigrants have access to healthcare? Of course, they're all going to say, well, yeah, I think absolutely they should. Put it to a moderate Democrat. You might see a moderate Democrat say, eh, hold on a sec. I don't think so. I don't think that's such a good idea to allow for illegal immigrants to get full welfare benefits. Again, pandering, it's this open borders, globalist society idea. And a lot of this, I mean, if you, if this wasn't AOC, if you told me, if you said, read all of this stuff off to me, if I read all this off, I would swear this was something that Gavin Newsom put out. You know, coddling of illegal immigrants, opening the, the, the borders so that for people can come in and get all the benefits from taxpayers. Because do they, again, you're taking money from hardworking people tax-paying Americans and you're giving it to illegal immigrants. I don't understand the philosophy behind that. I don't understand why people think that's a good idea. I don't. Is it a nice idea? Yes, charity is always a nice idea, but don't force people to give charity. And that's the problem with the government and that's the problem with a lot of these social justice warriors is that they force charity upon us. They're kind of sitting there saying, well, we're forcing you to be charitable to those less fortunate. Uh, it's Charity is something you do voluntarily. You don't be forced to be charitable. You don't enact laws that force you to pay for something else. The other thing is rent control. Rent control is something that we're going to see here in California. And I've said this all along. Rent control is a problem. And this guy nails it on the head. When you put in rent controls, you cause an escalating problem of... Well, you have these investors who are going to look at California and say, do I want to build an apartment complex in California where I know year to year I can only increase rent 3%? And if you look at their financials, they say, I might not get my return on investment for, I don't know, 50 years. Let's just, I'm picking a number out of the year. But if I go to some place that's a little bit more open, doesn't have these rent controls, uh, obviously less taxes and regulations, not so much of a startup cost with the permits and getting that all fixed. And they say, let's go to that state instead and build over there. A business person is going to look at those two things and say, well, I'm going to develop over there and not in California. So rent control stifles this affordable housing idea because it destroys demand or it destroys supply. I'm sorry, I got backwards. 
it destroys the supply of housing because no one's going to be building here anymore. Investors have to look at stuff. And this is why a lot of people on the left don't really, if they don't understand basic economics and, and how money talks, they don't understand these things. Things get done because people who are capitalists in this society look at something and say, is there a return on investment for me? Is there going to be a profit for me? And I know a lot of people on the left are going to say, well, that's what's wrong with society. It's all based on the dollar. It's a, yeah, well, that's how capitalism works. You build something, you create something, you create a product, and you hope that there's profit at the end. Or someone finds out and says, okay, well, they did something, so I'm going to make it a little bit better and make more profit. This competitive nature of capitalist society is what makes this country run and hum and make us the biggest economy in the world, outside of China, obviously. No insult to China. Don't, don't ban my podcast in China. Ooh, I don't even think they would listen to this podcast over in China. Um, so they don't seem to understand that they, they impose things like rent control here in California. And then they sit around and go, hmm, I wonder why no one's building here in California. Why, why is no one building here in California? Is it because of our regulations? Nah, it can't be that. Is it because of our stringent environmental regulations? Oh, well, it must not be that because everyone loves the environment. Uh, is it because of rent control? Eh, probably not. Well, they don't understand is that investors aren't going to invest or build anything in California if they know that they're never going to make their money back or that they can go to another state and make their money back twice as fast. That's why, that's why rent control is always a bad idea. Of course, if you open it up, if you open it up and say, okay, well, we're going to make it much more for much better for people to come and build and create supply. Guess what? You've now created a competitive housing market. And that in itself is a rent control because if someone says, well, I don't like the fact that my landlord raised the rent X amount of dollars or how many percentage points. Well, guess what? There's a plethora of more affordable housing in California. You can just move down the street. And if your landlord knows that and they're going to lose a tenant because they've raised the rent too much and they know that you can just move down the street to another affordable unit, that's in itself rent control because of the competitive nature of a capitalist society. If you have to compete with another housing unit down the street and keep your tenants there, I saw this in downtown San Diego when I lived there. When I first moved into an apartment in downtown San Diego, they gave us a hell of a deal because it was moving in and they want to be competitive. The next year, we went to re-up our lease. We were expecting them to bring it up to the normal price that they advertised when we first moved in. When we went to re-up, they looked at us and said, okay, we'll raise it a hundred bucks. They were supposed to raise it almost a thousand bucks. They did it because they saw so many other units being built downtown. They saw units or, or apartment building after apartment building being built and they knew, crap, we got to fight to keep people here because if they don't stay here, they're just going to walk down the street and go to another apartment complex that's going to give them a free month and a more competitive rate. So they didn't raise the rent $1,000 like they said they were going to. They raised it $100 to keep us there. And a lot of the times when we stayed another year, we didn't see it go up really that much more maybe 50 bucks off of a big unit it wasn't even close to three percent because again when there is competition and they're trying to keep you in the unit they're not going to raise the rent seven percent because they know that you'll just get up and move down the street is it tougher on lower income californians and americans absolutely i understand that but again, if you create more units and you create, make it easier for people to create affordable housing, you've now inversely created a rent control through capitalism. And that's what California doesn't seem to understand. And that's not what AOC seems to understand is that rent control arbitrarily placed has the absolute inverse reaction or inverse uh outcome of what they want to do. They think rent control creates affordable housing. It doesn't. 
it creates a drop in supply and it creates an increase in demand, which therefore causes a problem for people who can't afford high priced apartments. And in California, if you know what it's like, I don't know if you've seen the recent memes and jokes about this one shack that went around on the, on the social media, that it was like a shack outside and they were charging like $1,500 for it. And now it's a new joke that you see all over social media. Everyone's trying to one up each other. I saw one with a, a kid's play castle and they were charging $950 a month for it. But here's the issue. Here's the issue. And they don't ever understand this. And I just explained to you my own personal experience in downtown San Diego. Because there's so much supply coming onto the market, rent control is already inversely created. Okay? Excuse me. It's already inversely placed upon the market because of competition and capitalism. So anyway, last thing is this contractor idea. Now this contractor idea, and I'm going to liken this to something else, is the same idea that sort of went into the LA cannabis license, the LA cannabis license issue, right? So LA, LA came up with this application process and one of it was called social, one part of it was called social equity. Now social equity, let me explain to you what this social equity is because I've had to actually write applications that included social equity, is that you have to say, well, my business is going to include or hire this amount of uh, people who are minorities. Uh, it's going to uh, give back to these poor communities. It's going to do this. It's going to, a whole host of social justice issues. It's going to, you know, donate this much to a certain charity every month, which I think is weird that you have to pick a charity you're going to donate to every single month, but whatever, that's what LA wanted to see. Um, this is sort of what AOC is trying to implement in federal government contracting, saying, and it's not as crazy. It's not as bad as LA where they want you to do all these checklists of, okay, make sure you include this many minorities, make sure you're this diverse, make sure you give to this many uh, charities, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying these are bad things to have. A paid maternity leave, a $15 minimum wage, those aren't necessarily bad things to have. I think those are okay things to have. Maybe the minimum wage is kind of a little high, but that's a whole separate issue. But I got in this argument uh, this week with someone. I don't think it should be the deciding factor of whether or not you get a government contract. Now, going back to the LA situation, you have social equity as part of your application when you want to get a cannabis license. That doesn't mean if you just go in whole hog on the social equity, and become the biggest social justice warrior ever, that LA is just gonna give you a cannabis license. You still have to create a business plan, show financing, show uh, marketing, you still have to have architectural designs, you still have to have a property picked out, you still have to have a whole host of other things. The social equity is just one part of it. This should not be the determining factor. Now, if you had a slew of 10 applications for government contracting position with the federal government. And they all included these stipulations. They all had paid maternity leave, $15 minimum wage, and so on. But you had one that said, okay, we're gonna be creative and we're gonna be this, this cost efficient and we're not gonna cost the taxpayers that much money. Then it should go to the one that's gonna be the most efficient, obviously. I don't think it should be, well, this is the most deciding factor that we have. Because that's not what it's about. It's about making sure that the taxpayers aren't built out of too much money. But those are just my thoughts. Again, AOC coming out with more ridiculous legislation that will never ever pass. So with that, we'll see what she comes out with next. Um, she'll probably have some other bill that's going to be just as crazy because she's only been there for, uh, I don't know, barely two years at this point. And, um, and somehow she's already come out with two big busts uh, for legislation. Now I'm going to move into the California stuff. And obviously the biggest story that's going on right now is the PG&E blackouts. Um, I'm going to read a quick article from Breitbart.com. 
um, real quick because I want to get to another story about how Gavin Newsom just signed in a host of anti-Second Amendment. This literally just came through yesterday, so I want to throw this into the show because I think it's very important. Uh, but let's get to the PG&E blackouts. Uh, this is from Breitbart.com. Households and businesses across northern and central California suffered blackouts on Wednesday and are bracing for more on Thursday as the PG&E company shuts down portions of its power grid due to weather conditions that could lead to wildfires. Wildfires are endemic to California's Mediterranean climate with hot, dry summers and cool, wet winters. Power lines through the forest or brush create additional fire risk. Last year's catastrophic campfire, the deadliest in the state's history, which wiped out much of the town of Paradise in mere minutes is thought to have been sparked by a problematic power line in windy, dry conditions. The outages were expected to affect as many as 700,000 customers for several days, closing schools and businesses. In some places, that meant water systems that rely on electricity for pumping and drainage could also be shut down. The LA Times editorial board cautioned against blaming PG&E alone, however, listing several causes. It wasn't PG&E officials who approved housing developments in high-risk areas. In fact, the utility can't say no to serving those homes, no matter how great the fire is. The utility also doesn't make decisions about how the vegetation around their customers' houses and forests nearby are managed. Nor is it the utility's fault that human-caused climate change has created conditions that fuel massive wildfires. That's a disgrace we all own. There's no scientific link between climate change and reverse wildfires, though many scientists believe a warmer, drier California resulting from climate change could make the risk of wildfires greater than it is today. So outside of the, the typical, oh, oh, climate change, climate change, ding, 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 ringing the climate change bell, PG&E has a, or LA Times has a good point. PG&E is forced into these situations where they have to service homes. And you're going to see Gavin Newsom is already putting the blame on PG&E and he's already waving his big finger and, you know, in his gruff voice. This is unacceptable. Where did he get that gruff voice? Like he's been a smoker his whole life, by the way. He's got this weird voice. Like he's always about to lose his voice. Anyway, I'll work on that one. It's not as good as my Bernie impersonation, but that's because Bernie is easy to impersonate. He's already wagging his finger at PG&E, saying that it's their fault, that they really need to get their act together, that he needs, he wants to start looking into why PG&E... Well, a lot of this has to go back to the fact that Jerry Brown, his predecessor, did not approve helping PG&E and a lot of the utilities fix up their infrastructure. There's a lot of talk about putting a lot of these lines underground. Didn't do it. There's a lot of talk about fixing old lines that were in the area. Didn't do it. Now you have a problem where they can't turn down who they service because they're regulated by law since they are the monopoly that they have to do so also not their problem and the forestation in the area which should be controlled by if it's publicly owned should be the government's issue so a lot of this is just pushing a lot of the blame back on the big evil pg and e the most interesting thing about this is it's going to bring back memories of Gray Davis. If you remember, Gray Davis was recalled because of blackouts like this, because he couldn't keep it under control and the, half of the state went without power for how long. And this is where I'd like to plug a new petition that is circulating. Go to recallgavinnow.com. It's a petition that is actually certified. This isn't one of those... Uh, what do you call change.org petitions where, you know, great, we have a million signatures and what can you do with it? Uh, you know, that and 25 cents buys you a ham sandwich. I don't know. What's the, is that the saying? 25 cents buys you a ham sandwich. Anyway, um, this is an actual certified petition to recall Gavin Newsom. And it already has over 100,000 signatures, but it needs to get to the goal is 2.3 million. To make it official, it has to be, I think, 1.6, but they want it to be more than that because they want to make sure that they have room for error. You know something like this when it goes to the Secretary of State of California, they're going to look at every single name, they're going to check off every, they're going to try and eliminate as much as possible. So you don't want to get the bare minimum because if you get that, get the bare minimum, it's not hard for them to just start counting people off and say, well, you, you didn't get the, the number. So you want to give yourself a good amount. So yeah, I think they want to get over 2 million. So go to recallgavinnow.com. That's this one has them. There's another one floating out around there. 
go sign both. I, you know, they're both certified. I don't care if you want to, but this one I believe has more signatures. So that's a little plug that uh, Grant Davis was recalled for almost the same exact thing. Not going to tell you, I always say the same thing over and over again, like a bro broken record, but people really only care about kitchen table politics. And that's what the left never really seems to understand. And that's why these blackouts are such a big deal. The left is always so worried about their social justice issues. We've got to make sure we check off all these boxes for diversity and da da da. We've got to say all the right things. You know what people really care about? They care about going home and being able to turn on the lights or their air conditioning or charge their phone. People don't really care so much. If you put a list of 10 things, most Americans probably would put social justice stuff all the way at the bottom, if not even included on their list behind, am I going to have a job? Can I pay my bills? Can I pay for my house? Do I have health care that's affordable for my family? Uh, is the economy going well? Am I safe in my home? Stuff like that. That's what people am I, are my kids going to good schools? Those are sort of the things that people care about. Electricity is a pretty important one. So this might be a good time to strike while the iron is hot. Again, recallgavinnow.com. I'm not affiliated with it. I just heard about this on KUSI. Go check it out. Spread the word. Tell people that they have to sign it. Share it on Facebook. Do what you have to do. This is a real petition. This is not, a, again, this is not a change.org petition that if a million people sign it, you can wipe your butt with it. It doesn't do anything. This could actually change. This could get Gavin Newsom out of office if we get 2 million signatures. Okay. What happens is in a recall, if you remember, they have an election and that means they can do it all over again. And we could get, hopefully we don't, Gavin Newsom doesn't get reelected, but this may be the tipping point. People care about electricity. People want to know that they're going to be able to go home and enjoy electricity and not live in the dark. There is nothing. I lived, I was in Jersey for Sandy and we were without power for 10 days. It was nightmarish. And that was only 10 days. You just lose your mind. You can't, if you have a pump that for water, uh, that requires electricity and you can't take a shower. You can't even get water out of your tap to maybe boil water. If you have a gas stove, if you have an electric stove, forget it. I mean, how are you even going to cook? So it'll be interesting to see how this is continuing to uh, develop. Gavin Newsom's pointing the finger back at PG&E. RecallGavinNow.com. I'm telling you right now, go check it out. Sign it. Tell your family members who don't like Gavin Newsom, Gruesome Newsom. Tell them this is what happens when you have someone like Gavin Newsom in power. At least Jerry Brown would take a little bit more responsibility for things, these things, but uh, he, he just doesn't care. So, wanted to touch on that real quick. Last thing I want to touch on today before this gets too long, because I know we're already running up into the hour. Last issue that popped up was this uh, Newsom... Gavin Newsom signs a whole bunch of anti-Second Amendment bills for people down here in San Diego. It bans all gun and ammunition sales at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. This is an article from KUSI. I'll link it in the show notes for you to check out afterwards. Uh, California Gav Governor Gavin Newsom on Friday signed a law that will make the state the first to allow employees, co-workers, and teachers to seek gun violence restraining orders against people. The bill was vetoed twice by former Governor Jerry Brown, a Democrat, and goes beyond a measure that he signed allowing only law enforcement officers and immediate family members to ask judges to temporarily take away people's guns when they are deemed a danger to themselves or others. They were among 15 gun-related laws Newsom approved as the state strengthens what the Brady campaign to prevent gun violence calls the nation's toughest restrictions. This includes... AB 893, the state bill that prohibits gun and ammunition sales at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. Quote, California has outperformed the rest of the nation because of our gun safety laws in reducing the gun murder rate substantially compared to the national reduction, Newsom said, as he signed the measures surrounded by state lawmakers. No state does it as well or comprehensively as the state of California, and we still have a long way to go. 
Between 1993 and 2017, the latest available, there was a 62% decline in the gun murder rate in California, nearly double the 34% nationally, he said. Brady campaign spokesperson and Amanda Wilcox, who lost her 19-year-old daughter to gun control violence in 2001, said that the California laws are already so strict that the latest bills amount to, quote, tweaks to policies already in place, ways to improve implementation, quote, of existing limits. 17 states in the District of Columbia have laws similar to California's current restraint order, but the new law that takes effect in January 1 will be broader. Quote, with school and workplace shootings on the rise, it's common sense to give the people we see every day the power to intervene and prevent tragedies, unquote, said the bill's author, Democratic Assemblyman Phil Ting of San Francisco. The existing law has mostly been used by police officers, but Ting has an expansion should allow more awareness and more opportunity for others to act. Newsom is also a Democrat and signed a companion bill allowing the gun violence restraining orders to last one to five years, although the governors could, could petition to end those restrictions earlier. Hawaii allows restraining order petitions by medical professionals, co-workers, and educators, but not employers, Ting's office said. It cited information on the Brady campaign against gun violence and the coalition to stop gun violence. The California law will require co-workers requesting orders to have substantial and regular interaction with gun owners to seek the orders and co-workers and school employees must get approval from their employers or school administrators before seeking them. People seeking the orders will have to file sworn statements specifying their reasons for doing so. The measure was opposed by gun owners, rights groups, and the American Civil Liberties Union. That's interesting. The ACLU said the bill, quote, quote, poses a significant threat to civil liberties, end quote, because orders can be sought before gunners have a opportunity to contest the request. Those allowed to request orders under the new law may, quote, lack the relationship or skills required to make an appropriate assessment, end quote, the ACLU said. Ting cited a recent study finding that gun restraining orders may have helped prevent 21 mass shootings, though the University of California Davis researchers cautioned that, quote, it is impossible to know whether violence would have occurred, occurred, end quote. The companion bill was authored by Democratic Assemblywoman Jackie Irwin of Thousand Oaks, who said a last year's slaying of a dozen people at the borderline bar and grill in her Southern California town community of Thousand Oaks. Aside from extending the restraining orders to a maximum of five years, her bill allows judges to issue search warrants at the same time as they grant the orders. The warrants can be used immediately if the gun owners are served with the relinquished orders, but fail to turn over the firearms or ammunition. Irwin also authored related legislation requiring law enforcement agencies to develop written policies and standards for seeking gun violence restraining orders. Ting also has a companion bill that would allow gun owners stating, starting next September who are the subject of restraining order requests to file a form with the court saying they won't contest the request and are surrendering their firearms. Under current law, even those who agree to give up their guns must go through a court hearing, which Ting says wastes time and resources. <coughs> Excuse me. So again, all this talk about red flag laws that's happening right now, you're now going to see a little state experiment of how it's going to happen here in California. They're now expanding it so that not only as medical professionals, but people outside of that can start to, quote, enact the red flag laws. And this is not surprising from Gavin Newsom. This is not surprising that they're gonna that he's pushing this. It's not surprising that uh, possibly the future mayor of San Diego, and this should absolutely scare the crap out of San Diego people who support the Second Amendment, Todd Gloria, who is running for he's the presumptive Democratic nominee uh, for the mayoral race here in San Diego. But this is going to be the start of red flag laws here in California. It expands, and this is just gonna how it's gonna work. They're gonna slowly expand it. Then they say, uh, okay, so we went from law enforcement to medical professionals to this. This circle is a little bit bigger now. It's people in school and other employees and employers. Um, okay, and then you know, five years from now, they're gonna expand the circle a little bit more, and they're gonna say, okay, friends and neighbors. Okay, they're gonna expand the circle a little bit more, and before you know it, this is how it always starts. Democrats are very good at this idea. They're always good at this idea of, oh, we're just being reasonable. Why can't you be reasonable and give us this tiny little thing that we're asking for? Okay, we'll give you this tiny little thing. And then all of a sudden it becomes, okay, well, we want this tiny little thing. It's like the book, if you give a mouse a cookie, that's Democrats. If you give them a little leeway, they're going to say, okay, well, that was good. Now let's take it a little bit farther and they'll take it a little bit farther and we'll keep going. It's that way with everything. And that's why gun owners 
at this point are just fed up. Second Amendment supporters are fed up with Democrats, and rightfully so. I urge you, as a, if you're a Second Amendment supporter, don't budge. Just don't budge. You have the Supreme Court on our side. Don't budge on Second Amendment issues. Because if you budge a little bit, they're going to want you to budge a little bit more. And this is where they get frustrated and they say, I don't understand. Why can't you just be reasonable? Because being reasonable means if I give you a little bit now, before I know it, in 10 years, you're going to be knocking on my door, taking my guns just because you don't like me or because I'm a registered Republican or something like that. Is that crazy? That's a little far out there. Obviously, it would never pass the muster of, of, any, of any part of the Constitution, but who knows? This is a crazy world we live in, and this is California. California doesn't really seem to care about the U.S. Constitution, and neither does someone like Gavin Newsom. Anyway, that's why if you're a Second Amendment supporter, never, ever, ever compromise when it comes to your gun rights. Because when you start to compromise, they're going to start to take a little bit more. And that's like why I have a problem with the NRAs. The NRA seems to be fine with, uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll give a little bit, and then we'll give a little bit more, and then we'll give a little bit more. And before you know it, all of your gun rights are taken away, and you can't even own a super soaker without a state license. So stand, stand firm. I know that someone like the San Diego County gun owners, I know that there's going to be organizations. We're going to keep an eye on this. I know that there, there, there's probably going to be lawsuits. Most likely there's going to be lawsuits. You're going to see this play out in court and, and see where this goes. Whether they win or not, I'm not sure. But. So with that, I want to wrap it up. It's gone over a little bit. Um, so much to cover. Again, I'm going to be doing this more regularly. I got to get back on schedule. Sorry to people who were avid listeners for doing so well getting it out there. Um, the cheering in the background you heard. Record next to a soccer field, so... Congrats to ever scored that soccer goal. Uh, follow us on social media, social uh, Instagram, obviously California Underground, uh, anchor.fm forward slash California Underground if you want to send a voice message, which is like calling in. Um, yeah, so just to keep the, on the lookout, this is going to be more of a regular thing again, so keep it. You can also find us on Apple. Everywhere you listen, Spotify, Apple. Apple is a good way because they tell you leave comments, reviews, stuff like that because um, it always helps subscribe leave reviews spread the word looking at merchandise to spread the word even faster and until next week i'll see you on the other side subscribe, like, and review it, and follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available.